0: Hi friends, welcome back to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host Damian Mason, where we discuss issues impacting food, fuel, fiber and farming. This is part 2 of a two-part podcast where we're talking about farm real estate trends. Have real estate expert, agricultural real estate expert as it is, Howard Halderman, joining me. He was with me in part one. We covered who's buying, who's selling, the tightness of inventory, debt-to-equity ratios, recreational land, farmland that's good, farmland that's bad, values, numbers, investors, etc. So if you didn't listen to that, I encourage you to do so. We're going to pick up where we left off with Howard Halderman. You grew up in the business. Your grandfather began this business. You have worked in it for thirty plus years. From your perspective, besides the values, what's changed?
1: One thing. The biggest thing is is technology. Yeah. In our our ability to produce the crop. When I started, the available uh, there were more seed companies, less hybrids. Today, you have fewer seed companies and a hundred more hybrids. Uh, The the genetic changes, the technology changes with regard to GIS and the data that's generated on the farm, we have more tools and more levers we can pull today as in the operation of a farm to figure out how to make it better than we've ever had before. And that's probably the biggest change in agriculture in general that has led to improved yields and therefore allowed us to diversify the crops that we grow You know, it used to be number two, yellow corn and and number one soybeans. Now you can go onto a farm and he's raising seed soybeans or he's raising high lake soybeans, or he's doing something with corn that is better for that ethanol plant down the road, or he's doing something with corn that's better for that hog producer down the road. And so I think we almost have a little more specialty. They're not really what I would call traditional specialty crops, but they're niche crops that, that allow that operator to achieve a higher sales price. And be more profitable. So it's that's all technology. And and it's the GMOs that have been developed and the way we analyze data and the way we can better operate every acre of the farm. And we don't do it in a general sense, we do it in a very specific sense now.
0: It gives it gives you a chance to squeak out a little more return and also to have a much better. I mean, it's it truly has helped from the investment standpoint. You can look and see exactly what's happening, what we can do differently, how we can make sure that the nutrients are getting where they're supposed to be I, I mean i think you're right and it's done it's done well by all of us if you had a few million dollars in your account right now where would you put it well
1: i, I can tell you last month i made an investment in a commingled ag fund and it's a row crop ag fund and now it's one that uh, transparency uh, it's one that i uh, own the company that operates that commingled ag fund and is developing
0: that fund um Co-mingle, wait, co-mingled. wait, Now, wait a minute. I got people rolling around the floor mingling. Tell me about co-mingled. So co-mingled very simply means that
1: we have multiple investors coming into the same fund. Think mutual fund of, of farmland. Yep. That's what we're, we've developed. It's a company called U.S. Agriculture based out of Indianapolis. Uh, I'm a 50% owner of that. And so it's a company that, that we started back in 2011. And we've got four clients now, one of which is this co-mingled fund. And we continue to acquire farmland assets. The beauty of that is it's going to own farmland in 20 different states across the United States or more. And it's going to be very diversified in terms of geography, weather, markets, crops, and tenants. And as a result, you're going to get a really nice blended return from all of those various assets. And so it, I, I think it's a great tool to invest in agriculture. My do point you, is, though, Dan, do you, do you, act, or, a, do you act as a manager? Uh, U.S. Agriculture is the manager of that,
0: yes. So we
1: we manage that fund and we manage those assets. You were
0: getting ready to say the beauty of that, and then I cut you off.
1: Well, the the beauty of that, I think, provides uh, this underlying base cash return, which farmland always does. If you own a a piece of farmland, you're going to get a baseline cash return somewhere around 3% cash today, assuming no debt. And then you're going to have the opportunity for appreciation over time. And if you go back 50 years, Damien, you're looking at farmland appreciating somewhere between 4 and 5%. I don't care what state you look at it, that's the average. Right. You can look at USDA numbers and go back and research it over a 40 or 50 year time period, which includes the 60% downturn in the 1980s and the big run up here from 2008 through 2013.
0: And the average since and the average since 50 is
1: is 4
0: to 5%. Mhm. Plus, plus, plus your plus your everyday cash returns.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of that seven to eight percent kerchunk, kerchunk, kerchunk like widgets coming out of a factory. It's that kind of return. Is it going to hit the double digits? Well yeah, in one sing- single year like 2012 it will. But generally speaking, it's going to be that steady, consistent single digit returner. And then if you're an investor, you probably understand this term. It has a zero vacancy rate, Damien. Zero vacancy meaning every acre gets leased. If you own commercial property or multifamily property, you deal with a vacancy rate that's somewhere between five to 30, depending
0: on the kind of property. Look at strip centers right now because of what's happening online. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona for the winter. I drive by decent zip codes, not too far from my house. And I still see what I would call one third, 30% vacancy rates in places that are fairly high end and i wonder what's going to occupy that space as to your point no the only acres and agriculture that don't get utilized are because they got put in crp put in crp they flood
1: out i mean it's really got to have a significant environmental problem from, you know, multiple floods or something like that it's the ground's too salty but yeah you're exactly right Uh, every acre gets leased. And so those are some of the advantages to an agriculture investment. I look at it and say, that's what I know. That's where I'd put my million dollars.
0: All right. One or two things a landowner should know or do for the long-term value of their asset.
1: I think a landowner needs to first and foremost forge a good long-term partnership with a farm operator. Somebody that they know, they trust, and when I say a long-term partnership, it, it needs to be that win-win partnership because the landowner mistakes I see are when they get into a relationship that is one year and they're it. they bid their rent out every year. And what you're going to find in that scenario is you don't develop that long term, let's work together to make this a better farm relationship. And that's really what we seek to to
0: find. I remember reading articles that in say Iowa or Nebraska, the auction company would pull in and they would auction off your right to cash rent this farm for the next two years. Is, did that really happen? There were some of those. Yes.
1: Not very often, but there were a few.
0: And I'd call those, that's truly like a one night stand. You're going to, you're going to potentially run into maintenance issues that don't get handled long-term fertility issues that aren't being uh, upheld. So you talk about the long-term relationship, uh, That's where I would say you're really going to run into problems if you're sleeping with somebody different every night kind of thing.
1: I I think you're exactly right. At U.S. Agriculture, when we look at an investment for one of those pension funds that we work with, that is the key element. It isn't so much the land as it is the tenant and who we're going to be working with. And we have to have both of those pieces, the land and the tenant, solved before we'll make the decision to make that investment. Because it needs to be somebody we think will be a long-term participant that will help us improve that asset over time. So I think that's one thing a landowner really needs to know and and to maximize their long-term value. And the other thing is, are they knowledgeable about today's technology? And are they maximizing those opportunities that exist because of that technology? And that's a situation where somebody like Halderman can come in And in representing that landowner, we can make sure that your lease is as competitive as it can be, but are we maximizing all of the USDA programs that might be available out there? While I was in Texas this week, Damien, we worked on uh, 200 acres of grass waterways we're going to install on this property. That's going to help the tenant out because it's going to keep soil in place and reduce erosion and eliminate gullies that he's going to have to farm through. It's going to help the farm out because it'll add value over time, keeping that soil in place. And reputationally, it'll help that farm.
0: Yeah, so you're you're utilizing the the tools through NRCS and USDA and the Farm Service Agency to make sure that that thing happens. And by the way, that brings us to the other question: I was gonna say, who needs professional farm management services? Okay, you charge a percentage. Obviously, you can't you you don't you can't show up to work every day and not get paid. But you're you're going to say, hey, <laughs> yeah, we charge a percentage, but it's almost like a professionally uh, managed investment account. You know, I have a guy that for one percent uh, is supposed to be making me ten percent per year on my investments. So I, I would say that's your role. You're saying, yeah, I'm going to take a little. Uh, I'm going to take a little percentage here, but I'm going to make you so much more. Who needs you?
1: Oh, well, you've described it very well. In fact, I, I've almost compared it to if you own stock in a company. So I, I buy stock in John Deere. If I own stock in John Deere, is there a management team running John Deere? Sure, there is. And that's really what you're looking at for your farm investment. Who's managing or representing you? And we are the fiduciary of the landowner. So we sit on the landowner's side of the table when we negotiate a lease. Some landowners, if they are very knowledgeable about current rents in the area, and they know all the farm players,
0: yeah, maybe they don't need us. What's one takeaway you want to leave our audience with that anyone in the business of ag can benefit from? Well,
1: here's why I I end all my presentations with some data, Damien, and I'm waiting for it to come up on my screen. Uh, Here's why I would invest in U.S. farmland, because you can read about institutional investors that are investing in Australia and Brazil, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, Ukraine, etc. And those are all viable agricultural investment locations. Uh, But here's why when at the end of the day, I look and say, "Why would you invest in the U.S.?" Okay, the U.S. has the highest price of, of farmland, comparatively speaking, outside of the Western Europe area in the world. Why invest here?
0: Well, yeah, why not? Why not go to Ukraine? Because they tell me that Ukraine property, if you can buy it, uh, is like. Almost a half of what it is here. So, I, I mean, on a comparative production level, and I don't know if that's true because I've never been to Ukraine. And you're going to tell me, well, why why US over Ukraine? I can think of the obvious reason. Russia's not going to take over the US tomorrow.
1: Well, there is this factor called political risk, Damien. And that's exactly, you're exactly right. That That is a huge factor. Uh, but you look at our infrastructure here in the United States. When I like to buy farmland, I want to buy something that I think has a competitive advantage globally, because ag is a global business. you think about almonds. One of the key uh, major areas of growing almonds in the world is the Central Valley of California. That's why almonds have gone so game busters there. Corn. We can grow corn in the United States more efficiently and more cheaply when you analyze all the numbers and the fixed costs contribute to that. But when you put it all down, because of our climate and the soils that we have, corn, we have a big advantage on. Eh, Wheat, soybeans, less up. Obviously, there's other places around the world that can grow really good soybeans and wheat and be very competitive with us. Um, That's one thing. But I cite these stats. And in 1920, a U.S. farmer fed 19 people. So one farmer fed 19 people in 1920. By 1970, that farmer's feeding 26, so an increase of basically 37% over 50 years. Yeah, okay. In the last, well, up to 2013, so 43 years, a U.S. farmer feeds 155. That is a 500% increase over the last 43 years. That's why you invest in U.S. agriculture, because the, the farmers that are listening to this podcast get it. They know they have the best equipment, the best technology the access to the patent-protected seeds and, and pesticides, which in the Ukraine might be a struggle on the patent protection. I mean, the, those things all exist here. So as a result, we get the access from Monsanto and DuPont to the latest and greatest coming out. Now, it's not cheap, but at the end of the day, I think we're the most competitive with our infrastructure and what we're able to do, and the U.S. farmer, as by the proven by those stats... Uh, I think we win long-term in terms of competition around the globe.
0: And uh, your, your points are very, very well taken. Uh, so the point that I said, you're a smart guy in the business of ag, one lesson or takeaway. You just told me invest in American farmland. Anything else?
1: The last thing I would say is uh, watch water. Uh, water can, will continue to be a valuable commodity, and it's something that when I sit here in Indiana – we take for granted because we tend to get enough rainfall annually.
0: We try to get rid of it. We, part of what you do, I get your newsletters. You talk about the, the value added prospect of, uh, and proposition of putting in drainage tile on a Midwestern farm. Uh, there's parts of the world that say you went out and tore up your property and stuck. What'd you do? You stuck a bunch of plastic pipe in your land. Why'd you do that?
1: Because they don't get it. So Exactly. So uh, that control of water becomes an issue here. Uh, But there are many places around the world where water is short. And and that's another reason why I'm I'm bullish U.S. is because we, we have those water resources in many locations and the ability to grow that crop, not only from the soils, but also the water component. But as a landowner, if I'm going to go out and make investments, that's one of the due diligence items we always really concentrate on when we get to the western part of the country or the southern part of the country. What's the water like? What's the quality of the water? And, and I think that's another thing to watch as a, as a prospective landowner is what is the water? Uh, what are the water resources on my property? Where are they going?
0: Invest in farmland in the United States of America. By the way, my Canadian listeners, I hope you're not mad about that. I think that probably Howard would, I agree with me as well. You'd be perfectly safe investing in uh, Canada also.
1: Damien, uh, we would have investors that would love to invest in Canada. Canada just has this little rule they call it uh, if you are not owned, if your fund is not owned more than fifty percent by Canadian ownership, you can't invest here. More they, than five they, acres.
0: They, so they as a
1: result. I don't have anybody going up there just yet.
0: They tend to be a little closed off up north of the border. Canadians, I know you're listening. Okay, Howard also says, parting advice, watch the water. We watch it in our part of the world, Indiana, that is, because we get so much of it. But remember, in a lot of agricultural areas, it is. as a friend that told me in the cotton business in California, he said, whiskey's for drinking. But waters for fighting because they fight over water, uh, and then also he talked about who's gonna who needs management. You know, it's a long-term asset, and we talked about where you'd put a few million dollars right now, and also technology, what it's done for your returns in the business of agriculture as it relates to farmland. Howard Halderman was my guest, two-part series of the Business of Agriculture podcast. Here he's with Halderman Real Estate and Farm Management. You can find them at
1: www.halderman.com.
0: I something? get their newsletters. You can sign up for their newsletters. It's, it's neat. It's informative. And you'll see what's going on. I use it as a good way to keep my finger on the pulse of agricultural land sales. So I recommend you go check out their site. If you need their services, talk to Mr. Howard Halderman or one of his staff. They're all over the United States of America. But also sign up for their newsletter. It's, it's, a, it's a good piece of information. Mr. Halderman, thank you for joining me here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. Thank you, Damian. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks.